Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I will be your host. And with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hello, everyone. This week, we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 4, Grief Counseling. In this episode, tragedy hits the Scranton office. Jim and Karen are on a mission, and the Scranton employees address their grief. This episode's cold open involves Michael doing what he does best, which is not working. (laughs) He has set up a stack of probably like a three by four stack of paper boxes over by Stanley's desk. Mm -hmm. And he asks, hey, does anybody need anything from the the warehouse? Because I'm going down there. He he asks Ryan first. And we all know how Ryan is. He's too cool for school and he doesn't want to play along. And we all know how Dwight is and he thinks Michael is hilarious and everything he does is just the best. And so Michael is insistent on impressing Ryan and Dwight is insistent on being involved in whatever Michael is doing. Right. So Dwight's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, di- I'll get a pencil. I'll help take a pencil. And Michael goes, okay. And then he does the thing where it looks like he's going down a set of stairs Behind the boxes. Behind the boxes, right. And Dwight, like you said, thinks this is the funniest thing he has ever seen. Like, like it's a magic trick. He's just like, how is he doing that? Michael is very good at physical comedy. And probably that's the treat of maybe Steve Carell as well. So it sort of plays off really well. So Michael does it twice. First, she gets a pencil to an unimpressed Ryan then he, then he gets a pen for a super impressed Dwight. Right. And Steve Carell plays this off really well. Because I'm sure it is hard because you're having to continuously sort of squat down while maintaining balance and stability. And as he comes back up, he's sort of breathing pretty heavy from that. And then Pam sees an opening here. Pam says, Michael, you know what I would really love is a cup of coffee from the warehouse. It's so much better than the coffee up here. (laughs) And Michael does it. He plays along. And so then the camera follows him, army crawling, opening the door to the break room, getting a cup of coffee, crawling back with it, and then coming back up the stairs, quote unquote. And then Pam, knowing exactly what she's doing, she's like, oh, did you get cream and sugar? Yeah, and this is, I mean, Michael having to impress people. Like, he, yeah. he, is, he is getting what he wants out of this, so he can't be like, nope, I'm, I'm not, I'm ending this I'm bit. Done. Like, I'm not, yeah, I'm done. So he has to keep doing it because he's getting the validation that he wants exactly. from, from this. We open the main part of the episode with some tragic news. Jan is on the phone with Michael, and she tells him that they have lost Ed Truck. And Michael doesn't get it, and he's like, oh, yeah, I got his cell phone number around here somewhere. I'll I'll call it. And Jan's like, no, he 
he died. And this kind of hits Michael kind of in an odd way. He's not like devastated and he he goes out into the office and he tells people, hey, you know, here's this is the, the thing. Ed Truck has died. And Phyllis was just like, you know, he's a really nice guy. And Michael's like, oh, yeah, you, you know, you worked with him. Creed worked with him. And it is when people start saying, he's like, hey, are you OK? I'm sorry. That's when Michael's just like, oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, this is a kind of a big deal to me. It didn't seem like until Kelly said, oh, my gosh, your boss died. You must be so sad that Michael sort of seemed to process that he is sad. But as we go on in this episode, we'll talk about a little bit more about what's actually hitting home for Michael here. And we as an audience, we met Ed Truck once. We have seen a photo of him and Michael, but in the season two episode, The Carpet, Michael and Ed met up by the dumpsters because Michael wanted to know if someone had ever done the same thing uh, to Ed's carpet. Right. Michael makes his way over to Pam's desk and expects her to give him a hug after announcing the news. What really seems to destroy Michael even further is a report from Creed about the manner in which Ed died. And it is hard to tell how truthful Creed is here. Because, by the way, this is something that I meant to say in the last episode um, because it became clear and it has continued here. Creed is now full on the creepy, crazy guy that he will be for the rest of the series. And so him coming in and just being like, yep, decapitated. He got like in a car accident up and up underneath a semi, boom, dead. Like it's hard to tell if that's actually how Ed Truck passed away. Michael takes this news even harder. I mean, that is uh, horribly tragic circumstances. And Michael really seizes on this aspect that Ed was alone when he died, that he was alone in his car, according to the story from Creed. And that really seems to be bothering Michael. So yes, he was sad that his former boss died, and we don't know really what their relationship level is. We know that Michael took his job, assumedly, upon Ed's retirement. But we don't know if they were, if that was his mentor, if they were kind of work friends, or just associates, or just sat close to each other. You know, we don't know that information. Well, I think that, I don't think they had the greatest relationship, because... I think Michael makes references to the fact that he was just kind of this boring, you know. Didn't like didn't, fun. Yeah, you know, uh, and specific, most specifically, didn't consider his employees to be friends. They were just right. his employees. Right. So I think Michael just sees this as a, oh, I, he's. Like it's a very it's a very linear thing for him in that oh this is the guy that had my job before me mm-hmm. so that's 
Michael's only really tie to Ed Truck, other than the fact that, you know, he worked for him before. Michael keeps getting frustrated that no one is taking this as hard as he is. After he finds out the manner of Ed's death, he calls Jan and he is sort of lamenting that more needs to be done by the company, that this is someone, this is their family member. He keeps mentioning and referencing this is a member of the Dunder Mifflin family. He says that we get a day off for Martin Luther King and he didn't even work here. Yeah. And so I think throughout this episode we are starting to get to there are many layers in this like you said Michael really kind of sticks to the point that Ed was alone when he died and Michael at this moment doesn't really have anybody in his immediate circle that would you know would have been there with him when he if he were to die or would be super upset if he were to die but i think that what he is really focusing on is the fact that ed was the regional manager of the scranton branch before him Mm -hmm. and so no one is taking this very hard that the formal region former regional manager of this branch has passed away Mm -hmm. michael wants to think that if he were to die, people around the office would be super upset about it. Yes. Michael is imposing his fears and insecurities onto this situation. Jan's patience with him is wearing thin. She offers to let everyone go home for the day. And Michael... Michael responds, you don't know these people at all. That is the last thing that they would want, which we know is not actually accurate. Everyone would enjoy that and that they probably wouldn't be going and being introspective about their feelings about Ed Truck's death by any means, but they'd be happy to have a day off of work. Uh, Michael instead says, we need a statue, a statue of Ed. And Jan is... I'm not sure if that's feasible. She's not buying it. And it ends up that they're yelling at each other kind of incoherently. But she's like, my patience is wearing thin. I need to get back to work. And she hangs up on him. So Michael feels that there is unaddressed grief amongst the members of the office. So he takes it upon himself to hold a counseling session for everybody just to get rid of their grief. Because he tells the camera about the five stages of grief. He says it's his job to get his employees to acceptance, which is the fifth and final stage of grief. And if not acceptance, at least to depression. His job is to make sure that they are depressed. And yes, he is obviously completely misunderstanding the stages of grief. He says that the people are denying that they are grieving, which isn't, that's not the step. The step of denial is, oh, this thing didn't happen. And he says that 
that is making them angry that they are denying this, which again is not what that step is. And so yeah, he like, like most things that he picks up on the internet or on Wikipedia or whatever, he is completely missing the point of the steps of grief. Michael just wants somebody to be there with him. So Michael opens up this grief counseling session by saying that they have he has his like extendo ball thing and what what's going to happen is he has the ball he's going to talk about his grief he will then toss the ball to someone else who then will share their grief or something in their life that made them sad a loss something along those lines it is around this time that roy pops in and says hey uh pam something's wrong with your radiator or whatever you want to come check it out and pam's like uh yeah sure okay and then michael's like all right well hurry back and as they leave roy's like there's nothing wrong i just figured you want to get out of there and i can like i will admit i completely forgot that they weren't engaged at this point like it was just so natural and a nice move by roy that was like oh that they must be bad like but they're still together he would have never done when they were together true it was it's his way you know just like him asking how her day is or coming up uh every few hours to get a soda from the break room it's his way to still be involved and still be there and pam Pam takes him up on it, but she is not letting him in. You know, she the she's a little less chilly towards him sure. than she was in a couple episodes back, but she says she's doing well. She likes her new car, and he is worried about her safety and is concerned about her. It's a nice moment. And she is giving a little bit back. Like, yes. I mean, he Roy is teasing her about how fast she drives, and Pam's just kind of like, a, "Yeah, I, I still do that." Like, yeah, it's it's a nice moment. It's gonna sort of grease the wheels for some episodes to come here. Um, it's probably something that, again, if they did not work at the same place, would likely not be seeing each other as often. Right. Pam comes back to the conference room, and it turns out that Michael paused the meeting for the entire time that she was gone. And I cannot imagine sitting there just looking at everybody else, waiting. Right. (laughs) So Roy's nice effort was for not, because Pam didn't miss anything. So Michael starts off the grief session by explaining how he feels about Ed dying. And he just has this ridiculous description of like one guy is punching him in the heart or something like, like there's essentially three guys like causing him physical harm. And that's how he feels right now. Michael elects 
Stanley to be the next person to share and tosses him the ball and Stanley is like, nope, not doing this and just tosses it back to Michael who then is like, no, 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 this is required and he tosses it back to Stanley who then says, is again, very adamant about not sharing and pretty forcefully throws it back to Michael. So Pam decides this is her time to step in. She will, she volunteers to go and she describes a tragic death in her family, which was her aunt who was a professional boxer and got in a fight that put her in a coma and told her boxing coach to pull the breathing tube out. Which, of course, is the plot of Million Dollar Baby. Ryan is sitting almost right across from Pam yeah. in a circle. And there's a nice camera pan to him where he, as he's listening, the there's dawning recognition on his face. Like, okay, no, I know this plot line. Right. And he kind of picks up on what she's what she's doing here in this meeting which is side note a completely fair thing to do yes it's a fun prank a la Jim but Michael is really putting people in a very awkward and forced position here that's pretty inappropriate in the workplace right so Ryan decides okay I'll go next side note though this is another situation where Toby as the HR rep needs to step in and be like hey because he's at the meeting this is not the best avenue for this. If you feel you need to talk to someone, I am, as the HR rep, yeah. always here for that. Or can recommend something. Yes, yeah, like yes, the exactly. Fact that he just went along with this is, um, maybe Toby should be fired here. <laughs> like, it's just incompetence. Just for being a bad HR rep. Yeah. Ryan goes next, and he says his family was on safari in Africa, which is very nondescript, several years ago. And his cousin, Mufasa, which how that didn't trip, <laughs> tip everyone off. Well, he it did. say it very it did. loud. Everyone but Michael. Right, it. yes. It, again, Michael's an idiot. And, and probably not Dwight. Dwight yeah, probably, probably never has never seen a Disney movie in his Angela, life. Something is inappropriate about it. So Ryan says his cousin Mufasa uh, somehow got away from the group on the safari and he was trampled to death by wildebeest. Michael's response is, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. Do you want to talk about it? Ryan responds that, you know, no, this, this whole thing would take probably an hour and a half, but we in the audience of everything that happened, it was... It was pretty terrifying for us, pretty hard. And, and Michael's just in awe of this story. And Kevin wants in on the action of, of the prank. And it, he may have sold it if he wasn't so blatantly obvious about it. Yeah. He said that he spent the weekend at his uncle Bernie's house and then his uncle died and they had to pretend he was alive the whole time. And Michael obviously gets this. 
Side note, I've never seen that movie, but the way Kevin tells it, it sounds terrible and dumb. It's it's somewhat funny. Okay. It's not bad. Okay. It's an 80s, like it's your typical kind of cheesy 80s, 80s comedy, but it's definitely a movie that Michael would have seen. And so, Michael picks up on yeah. that and he gets very, very, very upset. Very upset. And everyone else is sort of over this. Angela says they have tons of work to do. They're just going to get back to work. Toby, this is finally when he takes the opportunity to be an HR representative and says, Michael, unfortunately, death is a part of life. It's not something that you should be afraid of, but it's something that you need to work to accept. In that vein, Toby tells Michael that As he was walking into the building that morning, he saw a bird fly into the glass door and die. And Michael just becomes weirdly horrified by this idea and and accuses Toby of killing the bird and not trying to save it. And just rushes down the stairs to right outside the front doors to find this poor bird. And here is where we see the actual steps of grief because Michael is very upset. He is very angry that this bird had to die. He is in denial that the bird is actually dead. He picks it up and is just like, no, I think it's still good. And he brings it into the office and he's trying to like pour water down its mouth and everyone is telling him, nope, that bird's dead. And so he eventually accepts it and he's like, we have to honor this bird. That's what you do when someone dies. And he keeps emphasizing again, the aloneness of this bird, that the bird died alone. It's just this fear manifesting in these situations. So he tells everyone, they will have a funeral service for the for the bird at four o'clock in the parking lot. And several people voice their displeasure of this plan. Meredith says that she has work to do. She's very busy. And Michael's like, nope, it doesn't matter. Everyone will be there. And so you see a lot of just rolled eyes and just people being like, okay, fine. Pam, however, has this look of kind of acceptance and concern on her face. She picks up on where this is all coming from for Michael. And so much of it truly is this deep-seated fear of being alone, dying alone, never having close connections. And she sees that, so she's going to... So she's willing to humor Michael and sort of just do what she can for this. She decides to create just a decorative box that can serve as a casket for the bird, uh, which is better than the alternative of Dwight trying to stuff it into a soda can uh, through the just regular opening, the pop top opening of the soda can. So everyone heads outside for the 
remembrance ceremony, if you will, of this bird. And Pam makes a speech and Dwight plays a song on his recorder. On the wings of love, I believe. <laughs> and Michael is very moved he from is. this. And Pam, again, had recognized what the, the true root of the issue is. She just tells a little bit of a backstory. Not that there can be much for just a bird that you see outside, but she says, yeah, we don't know very much about it. We know that it was a local bird, so we've probably seen it before. We know that he died this morning, but she says, I don't think he was being stupid. It's just that he wanted to come in and be a part of our office. And she says, and this is really the heart of it, we know he was not alone, that there's people out there that cared for him, that find meaning in him, and this bird had friends. And so really the stand-in for the bird is Michael here. And Michael is gripping Phyllis and Meredith's hands. Um, Kelly is weirdly holding on to Ryan. And the box with the bird in it is on sort of like a funeral pyre like you'd see on Game of Thrones. Right. Which is, in this case, is a paper box filled with shredded paper. Yes. And they light that box on fire. And once Dwight finishes his song, which Pam sings along to, like Pam is very proactive uh, in this ceremony, they, Michael says, okay, back to work. <laughs> Which it has to be close to quitting time by this time, by the right. way. And then Dwight, very unceremoniously, brings a fire extinguisher out and just puts the fire out and stomps on the shoebox thing, or uh, I guess it's like a Kleenex box yeah. that Pam made this casket out of. And then tells the warehouse guys watching to get this cleaned up. Typical Dwight. Meanwhile, in Stamford, we see some activities that are very reminiscent of the things that Jim and Pam would do in Scranton, but involving Jim and Karen. This all starts in the conference room. A real meeting in the conference room, right. by the way. Yes. And... Josh is talking about something, and he asks Karen if she has the numbers for this particular account. And Karen says that she does not at this moment. She's kind of doing the thing where you shuffle your papers, and you're like, oh, crap, oh, God, I don't have this. And you're hoping it just appears, but you don't. Right. And Josh is kind of disappointed about it, and he's just like, okay, well, just, you know, just get those done. And follows up to Jim and says, hey, Jim, can you make sure that gets done? And you... Jim is kind of surprised here. And he's just like, uh, yeah, sure, I can, I can do that. Two things here. Do you think Karen is bad at her job? No. Because that the level of oversight on just getting a price list together seems unnecessary. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the where the fallout happens in that Karen does not 
feel like she needs to be supervised in getting this list together. She is resistant and sort of balks at Jim's authority here, which I'd be kind of pissed about that too. Again, it just seems like an unnecessary level of oversight to just getting this list together. Sure, but at the same time, it appears that that is Jim's job. Like he is he is the right-hand man to yeah. Josh. So rather than Josh having to, you know, oversee all of these things, he is delegating that to Jim. Mm-hmm. So I I agree with you in that. Yeah, there doesn't really need to be somebody to follow up with. Like Karen can just get that done and then get it to Josh. Yeah. But at the same time, people being upset at Jim for getting this assignment just because Jim is doing his job essentially seems a little over the top. And the second thing, Andy remains and continues to be super annoying and childish when Jim says sure to Josh's request that he oversee this. Andy does that stupid cough thing where he's like, suck up. And then turns to Josh and, and says, did you hear what I said? Right. And Josh just ends the meeting. I'm like, yeah, he's probably been annoying since day one of this job. Andy is to Josh what Dwight is to Michael. <laughs> but Josh doesn't find it funny or endearing, in, endearing or engage at probably all. Probably doesn't need a friend like that. Right. Whereas Michael is sometimes just like, goes along with whatever Dwight says to him. Yes. So later in the break area, Karen is looking for a specific brand and type of chips. And they are not in their vending machine. Right. And she, you know, just says, you know, something like, oh, darn it, or something like that. And... Jim comes in and checks in on her. It's like, uh, you know, what's what's the matter? And Karen explains they, they don't have these chips. No, she doesn't. She does not start out that way. She says, it doesn't matter. She's This is where she's sort of a little pissy about the assignment that she's been given and then the fact that Jim has oversight here. Right. And just says, doesn't matter. I wanted these type of chips, but this doesn't fall under the purview of your authority. He says, well, that's where you're wrong. Yes. And he says he is taking it upon himself to make sure she gets these chips. As her project supervisor for the day. And that neither of them are going to do anything else until they find these chips. Just a very gym thing to do. Right. And Karen immediately lets all of the ill will that she felt towards Jim kind of go away and she plays along and they spend the rest of the day trying to find these chips. So they call a supermarket somewhere and they don't have them and they call the like head of that chain of supermarkets just to see if maybe the shipment was on its way or something like that or if there even was a shipment in the first place and they seem to get positive feedback from that but the person on the other end of the phone 
then asks for their store number and obviously they don't have that information so Jim panics and hangs up the phone. Mm -hmm. Later in the day Karen comes back to her desk to a bag of these specific chips. They're hers salt and vinegar chips. Yes. And she asks Jim, you know, where'd you find them? And Jim's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just in a very coy like way. Like flirting. Right. And he says in the interstitial that he called the vending machine or the... Uh, called the manufacturer, which referred him to the distributor, right. which referred him to the vending machine company, which said they had him in the building next door. Right. So it just kind of shows the budding relationship between Jim and Karen. Mm -hmm. Jim is very much doing the things that he would do for Pam. Yeah. In this in these situations. Yes. He you can tell they sort of have a little crush or that they're compatible in some way. I think Karen is a little hesitant maybe. She's still not quite sure about him. And Jim's a nice guy, no doubt about that, but he's also willing to go to lengths like this to get out of work a little bit. And so he's he's doing this thing, one, because it's just a fun distraction, and two, but it seems really nice. He's going above and beyond, probably, quite frankly, much further than I would be for you if the chips that you wanted just happened to be, you know, gone from the supermarket or something like that. I feel like you would offer to do the things that Jim does, and I'd be like, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. They're just a bag of chips. I'll get a different... Get them next time. I'll get more next time or some different chips. Like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> so that pretty much does it for this episode. Michael does find some acceptance in the... Michael does find some acceptance and closure with the ceremony with the bird. And he, and this is just kind of the, the way that Michael is in general. And he's a very basic person. Like he had these strong feelings about this thing and probably wasn't even that strong. Like he didn't even realize he had those feelings. He essentially had to be told that maybe that's the way he should be feeling kind of yeah and so it he got he went over the top with those feelings and then it just took this stupid little thing for him to be like oh okay well that's good i'm done yeah put it that and put a pin in yep, there that's and i'm done like i don't feel sad about ed truck anymore yeah that's kind of true <laughs> so with that, let's head back to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. You know, shockingly, there were no fun facts. I thought there'd be more about, like, I assume that was a prop bird and things like that, but really not anything that I could find. Uh, those scenes of the remembrance ceremony for the bird were filmed outside, obviously, and everyone's wearing a coat, but it was pretty hot outside and they filmed for a while uh and people were sweating in the coats and the long pants and everything because they had to pretend it was winter i don't see why like why they had to do that in terms of 
like there's no real timeline to stick to here and kind of like as i pointed out last episode everyone is still like super tan and everything because in real time they're shooting these episodes within the span of like two months or whatever it's kind of weird because clearly at the convention it was warmer weather it seemed like just the way everyone was dressed and now they're already into winter coats so yeah the timeline is a little a little weird and off perhaps i wonder if it's just because it's kind of that stereotypical movie slash tv trope where anytime you see a funeral it's always cold and overcast and rainy or whatever so like they kind of had to stick in that trope yeah and also the warehouse guys nearby they were not wearing coats right so you know they didn't probably have to go as hard on that that it's the middle of winter right uh, idea yeah i don't think anybody gets fired this episode if we're giving the if we're giving toby a pass i don't think so a lot of inappropriate behavior by michael i mean that's par for the course with him though right uh soliciting a hug from pam yeah and then just forcing people to talk about their feelings or past experiences things like that that's towing the line for me and bringing a potentially disease-ridden dead bird into the office now i'm just like i hope that if that ever happened in real life they scrubbed down those surfaces right and everyone washed their hands do you have a dundee to give out for this episode i do the dundee for the weirdest post-death wish goes to dwight so in this episode we get a lot of information about just dwight and his personality and sort of how he views death and in one scene he and angela in their weird way of talking to each other at work he tells her that if he's ever decapitated he would like his head to be put on ice And he says that after he dies, he would like to be frozen so that whenever he is thawed, he will come back stronger and he will have figured out what it was that killed him and how to get out of that position that the the man put him in. Right. So he assumes he's going to die in some sort of combat. Yes, which is very Dwight. Yes. What about you? My Dundee is the most surprising skill. And that goes to Karen, who is apparently fluent in French. Oh, yeah. At one point in their search for these chips, she just goes, I'm going to call this store in Montreal. Which is not close to Stamford, Connecticut at all. No, not at all. Maybe the chip manufacturer is out of Montreal. Maybe. And she just asks the person on the other phone if they have these chips and gets a no. And she's like, okay, thank you. Um, in French, obviously, mm-hmm. and hangs up. And I feel like that was just a that was a flex by Karen. Yeah, just be like and by Rashida Jones. Sure, <laughs> to show this potentially because she wants to show this person that she is interested in. Hey, here's mm-hmm. this cool thing that I can do. I'm fluent in French. I'm just going to have this conversation with this person in Montreal right now. That's a good point. And Jim seems very impressed. Right. And French is is sort of a, it's a romance language, but it's a romantic sounding language as well. Yep. 
So Curtis knows some French. Very. I have lost much of what I knew from the four years of French I took in high school. Yeah. But every once in a while, it comes through. Who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month is Jim because he was able to track down the chips for Karen, but also because he seems to be fully moving on from Pam and moving into a healthier relationship with Karen. That is true. I would say that's accurate. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Pam because she just showed a great kindness to Michael in sort of recognizing his need and helping him through that and planning that service for the bird and trying to just go along with what this person needed at this time. And also, she also seems to be doing well in her post Jim and Roy life. Right. So that does it for this week's episode. Follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And continue to listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you listen on Apple, be sure to give us a five-star rating and comment just to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.